This is Yudah Cohen, Vision Movement, Vision Magazine, and you're listening to the Next Stage Podcast. Our sages teach us that our ancestor Yaakov buried his wife Rachel in Beit Lechem, near the road, instead of in Hebron with the rest of our matriarchs and patriarchs, because he knew prophetically that in the future, foreign conquerors would displace us from our land, and that the defeated Hebrew exiles would be forced to march past Beit Lechem on their way out of the country. And in the 31st chapter of Sefer Yirmiyahu, we see that Rachel is crying for her exiled children and refuses to be consoled. Eventually, the Creator tells Rachel to stop crying, that there is a reward for her tears, and that the children of Israel will be brought from the lands of our enemies back to our borders. Over the centuries, this became one of the most powerful stories that sustained our people in exile, and reminded us that no matter how dark the present felt, we should never lose hope in the prophecy that we'd one day return home to self-determination in our land. And we should feel grateful to have been born into a generation when that prophecy has been fulfilled. Our people have returned home. We possess sovereignty over our land and have the ability to take responsibility for our own security and destiny for the first time in nearly 2,000 years. Despite all the flaws of Zionism and the imperfections of the State of Israel, and despite all of the challenges still confronting us, we should never lose sight of how amazing it is that we are probably the only ancient people that was destroyed and displaced that actually came back to our land and rebuilt our national framework against all odds so many generations later. This is perhaps part of what makes our identity and story so confusing. The Jewish people is unique in history. No other destroyed ancient civilization ever came back to life the way we did. And still we have to acknowledge that the Zionist movement accomplished much of this using colonialist tools and methodology, which makes it very easy for outsiders who don't really understand our story to see us as a foreign colonial presence in our land. This still requires rectification, and that rectification requires much work on our part. But such efforts shouldn't be seen as a burden. They're a privilege and an opportunity to meaningfully participate in one of the most amazing and climactic chapters of our people's story. And that's exactly what we've been placed into this world to do. And that's exactly why we at the Vision Movement work so hard to empower young Jews with the tools to identify and achieve the next goals of our people's story. To become thought leaders in formulating a new Jewish liberation movement that can correct Zionism's flaws while protecting its positive achievements. And in that spirit... I'd like to note that one of my most influential teachers, Harav Benny Eisner Zetzal, left our world 10 years ago today, on the first day of the month of Mar Cheshvan. So this episode of the Next Stage podcast is dedicated L'Iloi Nishmat Harav Benyamin Ben Yitzchak Yehuda, that his soul should be elevated. Rav Benny was a close student of Harav Tzi Yehuda HaKoen Kuk and helped found several educational institutions to help spread his master's Torah, including some of Israel's top pre-army mechinot. Rav Benny himself also fought heroically in the Six-Day War, in the Yom Kippur War, and in the First Lebanon War. In fact, after liberating Beit Lechem from Jordanian rule in 1967, it was Rav Benny who had the incredible historic merit of going to the gravesite of our mother Rachel there and telling her to stop crying because the children of Israel have finally come home to our land. Rav Benny didn't merely teach Torah to Rav Kook, which I would argue is the deepest and most relevant Torah to our people today. He also fully lived it and set an example to his students of what it means to live a life of Kedushah while fully participating in national and historic events. So to honor of Benny's memory on his Yom Ptira, I thought it might be appropriate to share a recording of one of his lectures on this podcast. 
But after reviewing some of the recorded classes he taught in English, I realized that simply hearing his words in a language he wasn't fluent in wouldn't have the same impact without experiencing him in person. His teachings can't be reduced to just words. The giant soul and personality behind those words was always and continues to be such a crucial part of what I and so many others like me merited to learn from Rav Benning. So instead of sharing an entire class of his, which would anyway be largely in Hebrew, I've decided to first share a short clip of him teaching just to give listeners a sense of who he was, followed by a class given 10 years ago by one of my other main teachers, Rav Moshe Kaplan, about Rav Benny and about the ideals he represented. And if listeners want to check out the show notes to this episode, you can do so by going to visionmag.org backslash the next stage 61. Chodesh Tov. Every day, Omer Haramchal, the Sefer Der Hashem. Tsarir Shit Hadesh Hashpaav Hearaban Ivraim. Every day, the world needs something to elevate, to purify the world. Heara is the or. Sheyaleotam in a madregahash feila. To elevate us from the low level. To push away the darkness of the world. כי המסירה שימסור אדם עצמו על קידוש השם בפועל אדם שזוכה בפועל to give his life to sacrifice his life ממשיך אור גדול וחזק בעולם ומתקן בעולם בבריאה תיקון עצום גדול נורא וירבה בקידוש גדול מאוד. המסירה במחשבה, דהיינו, to decide, to be ready, להימסר, כמו שזכרנו, ממשיך גם כן, גם כן תיקון, גם כן הערה, גם כן השפעה, אבל לא כל כך גדולה. וג'אס פיניש מעריב. ואהבת את השם אלוקיך בכל לברך ובכל נפשך ובכל מאודיך. מה זה בכל לברך? שני יצריך, יצר טוב ויצר הרע, בכל לבך. מה זה בכל נפשך? אפילו נוטל את נפשך. You have to think about it. בכל נפשך, אפילו נותן את נפשך. And to mean it, not just to say it, it's nothing. להתכוון לזה. גם כן השפעה. 
זה לא כל כך גדול כמו שבפועל you give your life. אבל למה שצריך שיתחדש להימשך בכל יום לפני, לפי סדרי הנהגה, it's enough to think about it, to decide that I'm willing. וזה נעשה בשמע ישראל. זה וסטרן קלצ'ר, זה וסטרן אדיוקיישן, is that you, 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 you are in the center. אתה, הטוב שלך, הקריירה שלך, your success in life, this is the aim, this is the goal. It happened to be שהייתי באמריקה ביום הזיכרון לחיילי אמריקה. What's the date? I don't know. Memorial Day. When is it? מה? אתם הייתם פעם שם? How many tears you saw? How many tears? I did see no one. No one tear. What I saw? Picnicking, shopping, movies. I was shocked, believe me, I was shocked. אני ממש לא האמנתי שזה, זה ממורל דיי? What's going on here? Hey, we don't know them. ממש היה לי ביג, ביג סופרייז. after a battle with cancer, was known to most people with his, how do you say, um, name, uh, Rav Benny, known as Rav Benny. He, it's hard to speak about him in the past tense. He was so full of life, vitality, energy. Uh, two weeks ago, he was at a breed here of uh, Yudha Cohen. And he spoke downstairs, they have the uh, Sudan, he spoke with difficulty, but he was, made the effort, but he spoke, when he started speaking, the Neshama, speaking. He was, um, this, so this constant smile, this joy, this love, just full of love for everyone, and everyone couldn't help but to love him back. He was especially dear to his teacher of Siuda Cohen Cook, who, as we mentioned, uh, within a month we lost, he lost two of his students of Hanan Porat a month ago, and also to the disease. And now of Benny Eisner. But Amisra lost, in this case, a very special uh, teacher. He was one of the biggest. spreaders disseminating the works of Rav Kook, which is so important now to understand this process of history for the nation of Israel to understand uh, itself. What is our goal? What is our destiny? What are we doing here? Where are we going? And how are we going to go further to give the strength for the nation to stand up and know its true mission? But he didn't just teach Rav Kook the writings, Torah Teret Yisrael, the redemption. He, he lived it. Those who heard him, those who can, on the internet, uh, classes. He was the head of the English department here a few years ago. For a short while, he had the merit. He used to be in charge. He used to give classes. And he, there's on the internet, I'm sure, on the Machon Meir site, the classes of Rabbi Eisner. He would go uh, 
wherever possible to teach, to go all the cities, to the army and soldiers. But he saw a special mission also to, to reach those that didn't speak Hebrew, to those in the exile. A lot of different yeshivot, that, you know, the English programs, like in Mohammed and others in uh, Terakoni, all over. He would uh, lecture to spread the giant idea, this true, bigger understanding, and connect people to Hashem, to Torah, to Eretz Yisrael. Last night there were uh, thousands of there of his students, literally thousands that he reached, English speaking. In the crowd, you could hear English. That he, uh, like I said, brought close to Hashem, to Israel. None of them here because of him. And each one I heard in the crowd, people talking, how um, they felt like he was the, their private teacher. Each one thought that, wow, I didn't know he taught at your school, at my school, your school also. Each one was sure that he was the, the only student. Such a... Sorry, a little emotional, but uh, I learned with him. I was when I was a young student at Merkaz Rav. He was an older, um, married uh, Avrech. We had a small group of three of us that went uh, Thursday nights late, uh, from eleven o'clock on, uh, to learn the letters of Rav Kook. But he had so many. Like everyone, just that his house was open. And like I said, just lecturing, teaching, that's all he wanted to do, just to spread God's name in the world. That's how he lived. That, again, not talking about it. That's easy. And even when he was sick, going and giving shurim, and he came to... Sh- but like I said, he gave the feeling to everyone that he was their only, their private teacher. Like I said, I heard different people there in English and... They didn't even know that he was teaching in other places, so many different places. Yeah, the traits, the humility. Again, at the most, Rav Beni, that's all he would accept. I mean, to call him any traits. And he, even at the funeral, he asked. In in his will, he asked not to... uh, speak at length and not to exaggerate and he praises on him so uh, again there's a lot to talk about it's a little but uh, I said what we'll try to do at least what we're trying to do in this class is a continuation to follow in her footsteps to teach the, the special Torah the Torah of Eretz Yisrael we'll try to continue his, his uh, legacy and teaching and what we uh, so the truth is that 
Before the holidays, we were in the middle of this series of the redemption process, Israel's redemption. What we're trying to do was to study and to train to see the hand of God in history, to see the ways of God, learning emunah. Emunah is not just, I believe there's a God somewhere in heaven, but the ability to see, to understand what He's doing in the world, what's taking place, and how to guide it and direct it, and be part of those that can, like the Gemara, the Chazal say, to work with God in this process that takes a lot of study to understand the significance the great significance of the return of Am Yisrael in this room we are from all over the world just witness testifying to the, this amazing process of the return of the Jews back to the land but so what? what does it mean? what's it for? where is it going? and how does the process go on? How does the, what are the stages that we're supposed to expect? what is the redemption? I'll just try to summarize up till now uh, one important point that we saw that the redemption is, like I just said, stages, a developmental process. Not all perfect all at once, not complete right away, and therefore that some are very disappointed. They look around, what, what redemption? What, uh, this isn't what I wanted, this is what I expected. Redemption is the perfection. Everyone is holy, religious. Look around. You guys are... What are you talking about redemption? Look outside. You guys are either blind or... Blinded by your love of Am Yisrael, Eretz You don't see what's going on. The reality is not so beautiful as you think. What do you mean redemption? Because again, if you have the understanding that it's all or nothing. So you look outside. It's not all. Therefore, it's nothing. But if you understand what Chazal forewarned us, foretold us. And that's what we saw the sources, the Kimakima, the Yushami, and others, that the redemption comes in stages. It's indeed not all at once. It's not all perfect right away. Like a woman that was barren for 2,000 years, and the, she goes, the prophet tells her, You're going to have a son, a Tamid Chacham, a great scholar. No, the baby's born. I can go backwards even before that. The pregnancy, and it's so difficult, and she's throwing up, and what's going on here? You, Where's the baby? Where she wants it. But then, anyway, the final, the baby, and now, no, she brings him a Gemara. He's supposed to be a Tamil Chacham, a rabbi, a scholar. Just cries, just wants to eat all day, and the diapers, etc. Just worried about existence and economy and defense. That's the Tamil Chacham, that's the scholar. But yes, there's stages. There's infancy, there's childhood, there's adolescence, adulthood, till he becomes that Tamil Chacham. That's the world we live in. And so too, the redemption process, there are stages of development. And we have the sources to tell us about that. Baruch Hashem, God didn't leave us. Uh, he gave us the ways to understand the Torah that guides us in everything we do, but also everything to know the ways of God and the workings of how He works in this world. But that takes study. Like a training of uh, a brother-in-law, a radiologist, you have to train to see things. Other people look at the same picture, the same scan, the same uh, x-ray, and don't see anything. Don't know how to decipher there what is taking place, what is there. What It takes a lot of study. And that's what we're trying to do in this process, in this class. One of the topics, one of the goals is to develop that vision. Not just to, people think it's uh, to be Zionistic, to come to Israel. That's not a bad thing either, to come to Israel and make Aliyah and be part of this whole to do God's will. It's not a small thing. But to put out people, giants of spirit, what the nation needs now is leaders. 
I don't want to go back again to Rabbi Eisner, but people that with that vision and that power to to put the nation back on its feet, on its spiritual feet, the feet of Baruch Hashem, the, the process as we'll see, the stages of the physical return, the nation is on its feet again. As the Gemara says in Sanhedrin 38, the the stages of man's Adam Rishon, the development, the first few hours of his life, of Adam Rishon, the first Adam, that we read last week in the Parshat Breshit. So the Gemara delineates the stages. Every hour, what was taking place, he stands on his feet, and in the next hour, he the ability to call the names. The names is the ability to understand the world he lives in, to understand the divine significance of all of reality. And that's what the Sotu on the national level we're standing, we got to the point, I think it's the sixth hour, I don't know, you can look it up in the Gemara there, Sanhedrin 38, I believe, page, I would bet, how do you say, 38b. I think the sixth hour, he's on his feet. Now, independence, he's now standing on his own two feet, but now what? Now the adolescent, but who am I? What am I? What am I living for? I have the army, I have the air force, I have the economy, I have this, and now what? Nobel prizes, and we're... And now what? Where is it going? Now the neshama, the content of that, the name, the label, the inner goal of all that and that's what we need people what of course calls the Triata Kodesh we have the physical renaissance now we need the the next stage of the spiritual renaissance the leaders that can understand each one leader doesn't have to be the Rosh Memshallah doesn't have to be a rabbi it's got everyone in their capacity to be a person that has this vision that knows and is aware of the divine hand and what is taking place here it doesn't just look at the surface the moment because the moment is lacking. That's what the whole process means. That every stage is not yet complete. It's not yet complete. But the fact that it's not complete doesn't mean it hasn't begun. And to guide it requires that inner vision. We mentioned in the beginning when we had the introduction to this series, Rabbi Akiva, the vision that able to see even the destruction, right? The second, he can see already the building of the third temple. He sees from out of the, the bleak momentary reality of the present, he sees already the footsteps of the of the future goal that's coming out of that. In other words, not to see the moment, but what is growing, what is within. Especially when our rabbis also, Hazal forewarned us. One of the keys to redemption we mentioned, from the Sikon Ezor, that the, one of the means of identification of the redemption process, of the generation of the Mashiach. You think, what do you mean, the generation of the Mashiach? Easiest thing to recognize. Everyone is holy, Everyone's religious, everyone has trimals, everyone's in Israel, everyone. It says there, no, generation of the Mashiach, it likens to like, you know, the poor person riding on a donkey, the donkey has the external signs of kashrut, right, the split hooves. But here it says the generation of the Mashiach is the opposite, so to speak. It says the, it's good on the inside and evil on the exterior. Exterior, the outside, the external level, the behavioral level. If you look at the outside level, not so religious and holy and perfect. So therefore, it's not so holy. This isn't redemption. But no, there's an inner level. Chazal said the inside is good, the outside is evil. Rabachutz, evil outside, good on the inside. We understood, we meant, we studied a little bit of why. If it's so good on the inside, why doesn't it behave accordingly? That's another question, although it's, we elaborated on that but it's because of that because of that super good that's looking for a higher expression to fully express itself on a levels that we didn't have up till now and it's not receiving that like the adolescent that's rebelling has new powers new energies he's, he's ready to be an adult but he doesn't know yet how to guide that and direct it how to 
He's no longer a child. He's outgrown that stage of just doing because it says and listen to what the outside sources. He wants to be on stand on his own two feet. He wants to be independent. But how to be? He's not in that adult stage yet. So he's in the interim between the adolescent, the childhood, and the adult stage. Rebellious, the behavior that we all went through, whatever we hopefully we know about or learned about and study the psychology of all the difficult periods, suicidal tendencies and rebellious. But, but not because he's an evil, rousy, rotten child. Because that good on the inside is so now ready and demanding its expression. It no longer is satisfied with the previous level of just do and don't ask. It's wanting the more, the Torah on the higher level, the fuller level, the redemption level. And that's where we come in again to that Triyat HaKodesh, that resurrection of the rejuvenation of the holy level, the inner dimension of the grandeur of Am Yisrael, what it, the spiritual side. What is it? What is our goal? What is the world meant to reach and how do we facilitate that process to bring it there? So that's what we tried to study. We began, we saw the stages of redemption as, again, just a quick review on the Yechezkel 36 and 37. In macro, in big picture, it's the first the physical stage, then the spiritual. First there's the physical rebirth, like the dry bones prophecy in Yechezkel 37. The bones will come back, the body, the skin, the ligament. And there's no spirit. Again, where's the spirituality? Where's religion? Just a secular, another body, another nation, another flag at the UN. That's what we're prayed for so people are disappointed at best if not they're even against and this isn't it's lousy we have to, different opinions but not those that don't have to, to penetrate to see that inner good the inner core that is pushing to a super goal indeed it's stage one the physical is stage one but stage one of what of this process that first prepares its receptacle its earthly body to receive that super soul that's now coming back to the world the change, the revolution of all of mankind, all of the mentality, all of the goals and motivation, the drives of man, of, of just worrying about his private, the physical, the, the moment, or looking for the bigger, the ideal, the divine, the one, the, the spiritual goal, the universal, how do you call them, eternal ideals of goodness, of, of divine goodness that will penetrate and permeate mankind. For that he wants to live and be strong, not to, to overcome the neighbor or to be stronger, competition or hatred. That will all be gotten rid of. How? With the return of the Jewish people back to the land and being that beacon, this neshama that expresses itself, this divine content, not some good human idea of perfection. To be a nice, moral nation, holy, the human ideas of holiness. That's the best humanity can get to. That's very good. But Amishel comes to, God sent to this world a, a nation that he created to bring down a divine content, not the best in this world. But something beyond this world, something that mankind couldn't have gotten to by himself. And that's what we come to, we. We're just vehicles, we didn't do it, it's not our doing. God created, as it says in Yeshayahu 43, this nation have I created unto me to say my praise. There's a nation I put into this world that brings down this illumination of a content that is not from this world in order to raise this world beyond this world beyond the limitations, literally beyond the limitations that we know of today. But that's a little bit farther. But this redemption process uh, that comes in stages, first the physical being, the first the physical uh, reality in this world that can, how can I say, that stores, that uh, reveals, that houses that bigger content. Like all of us individually, we have a soul. We see, we don't see souls. You see a person's speech and the way he talks, the way he walks, the way he eats. You see his activities, his, his uh, a little reflection on his the way he looks and things, but the, the that's those are all tiny, tiny glimpses of the neshama. 
so to the national. There's a collective neshama, a divine soul that comes to this world that reveals itself through people, nation, government, army, and politics. But what's revealed here, the inner soul of that, is this divine content. And like I said, so the first stage is the physical. The rabbis give the other... Uh, the tour Shulchan Aruch explains in the Musaf prayer of Shabbat, we said yesterday, Tashrak, the Tikanta Shabbat, Ratzitar Koponoteha, the prayer of the Musaf prayer on Shabbat, the, the acronym, the first letters of each word is the backwards Aleph Bet. And the Rabbis explain, the tour Shulchan Aruch explains that that's the secret of redemption. It comes in this backwards way, the physical, the, from the bottom up, seemingly from the bottom. The Neshama is like the seed from above comes. And it now sprouts up from the bottom, preparing its receptacle for its full ability to fully express itself. Because if it comes down in this world as it is, the world explodes, can't contain that super light. So it comes down and first builds this receptacle stage by stage, uh, a nation, government, army, and all of that, an economy, and that's the body. And that's what Yechezkel says there. By the way, Yechezkel 36, we saw there, that it comes even though we're not worthy, even though we're not deserving. I'm go tell the nation of Israel, I'm about to do this. Not for your sakes do I do this, but for my name's sake. My name, my goal, has been waiting a thousand, two thousand years in exile. When you're outside the land, my, this neshama cannot... What is a neshama? This divine, call it, transcending content that comes to this world to uplift this world, to change, to illuminate, to beautify, to expose to the world what it really is meant to be, what God has in store for the world. Not some human idea, some utopia that, like I said, we could maybe think of some nice good things, but it's not limited to anything from this world that we can even imagine the goodness that is in this neshama, what's called Knesset Yisrael, the Shekhinah. And then he says, God says, I'm waiting long enough. Now I waited for you to do tshuva, to be worthy. But he says, no, the redemption will come now when the time when I set, even if you're not worthy, you're not deserving. And that's what's taking place. We're living in this period of the Ketzer Megula, as we saw, the, the redemption process, that this divine significance of this world revolution, universal revolution, even if those doing it and participating themselves aren't aware of the inner content of what they're doing. They're building the land. They think they're building another land. You could think you're building China. Another, you are building the land of Israel. Objectively, that is the, the building that will store and house and reveal, enable the revelation of that super neshama. Whether you know that or not, whether the baby knows he's going to be a Tommy Chacham, he's playing ball and building his motor development. and All of that is a preparation for even what things that he's not aware of. The neshama knows. And the neshama is pushing that birth, that development in those stages, even if the participant himself, like the baby, is not aware of where he's headed and what's going on. That's where we come in. We have to be those, the adult, that is guiding the child and the adolescent. Because the beginning, the child just grows. He doesn't ask. The nation grows, comes back to the land. God renews this new vitality, this new national awareness, spirit that wasn't for 2,000 years. When he decides to wake up the nation, they, they want to come back. They're building, they're doing, sacrifice. Where does that come from? That's the, what Yechezkel says. That I put my spirit into you and you shall rise up and live again. That's not some human spirit. Herzl decided that the exile is it's not up to him the fact that the nation came and went and succeeded it became what it became is not because of Herzl or Ben-Gurion that's the neshama that God says it's now wake up but the process begins the tashrak the backwards how does it manifest itself in history from the bottom up people coming back making aliyah each one for their own reason running away from pogrom this was coming to visit his 
But the process is taking place. It's unfolding. This divine process is unfolding through people that themselves, like I said, not always are aware of the significance and therefore don't behave according to the true content of what is really taking place here. They're not all aware of this is the hand of God and to bring about the super-redemption. The Vilna Gon and others that sent their students and came to Israel were aware of it. But unfortunately, those that were more learned in Torah didn't always come to Israel. And amazingly, those that came and built and had to get up and go to do, and we explain that, why? Because the learned helplessness after 2,000 years of being without the ability to do so, we got so used to, we have to wait, God will bring us back. So the people who, so to speak, weren't, didn't believe in a God that would do it for them. You want to come back to Israel, you have to go and build and do it yourself. So we discussed that with this learned helplessness, this getting used to um, just waiting for God, thinking that the more you believe, the more you're passive. Let God do it for you. And then she rose up a generation that said, we're not going to wait, we're going to do it ourselves. And the other one saw that as an anti-God and anti-religion. What do you mean, if you really believe, you have to wait for God? So we discussed that, how this unfortunate... Um, phenomenon took place with the separation of religious, personal, individual religiosity and national, you know, secular nationalism. So it doesn't have to be. They're not, the normal state is a holy nation. Right? We're supposed to be there before the Ten Commandments. It says, you will be unto me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Unfortunately though, it came about, which also, one of the students of Benny Eisner that translated Emem Nismecha, and translated Me'afar Kumi, Moshe Lichtman was there at the funeral last night, they saw him. So you see there, he discusses why it comes back to these type of people. Why would good, you know, God can do anything. Why would he bring it back? Why would he let it take place through these people that aren't aware, secular Zionists? Why not bring it through the rabbis? And why are those the ones that stayed behind and were waiting for the redemption? And that you can see in the book of Eimah Banin Smecha, elaborated there. There's other explanations, but that we discussed now, like I said, I was trying to do a quick uh, over-surveying summary to get back to where we were. Uh, so, like I said, our goal in all of this is indeed to not agree with the secular, this is a secular man-made process, but to to call the name, to call the baby what he really is, the neshama that is pushing it, the divine process that is taking place here. For us to be aware of it. If we're not aware of it, how do we expect the, those that didn't learn Torah to become aware of the hand of God in this process? So, from both sides, there is this lack of awareness of the hand of God in this. They, they were secular, that everything is man-made, it's all from man. They don't believe in God, so to speak, they say. Not that they all say that. They also agree with God. They, they know there's a God. But the, the lack of clarification on the national level of how he works in history because of the religious world gave the view that if to do and to get up and to build the land is anti-religious, so, okay, keep your religion out and let me build the land of Israel. So they felt they even had to be. Is this either religion or statehood? As if the two were like you, some neighborhood out in Yerushalayim of Zionism and Judaism are diametrically opposed. Right? So that view gave the people that wanted to be in Israel and wanted to build, you had to either quench that thirst to be in the land, that desire to build, because you have to be religious, and it's one or the other. Or, so the heck with the religion, and I'm going to go and be and fulfill this dream of building the land and going and doing. Yeah, you know. behind and waiting for the Messiah to redeem Israel, or the mistake is uh, 
to the people that uh, were not so religious and they thought that uh, the religious people are a bit slow? Where did it start? They're both missing. That's what we're saying. They're both, they're both right. And they're both lacking. The individual religiosity, Torah and mitzvot and Yiddishkeit, that's true. The building of the land, the nationhood, to have a kingdom of, a nation of Israel in the land of Israel, that's also true. But they thought that each one, like I said, mutually exclusive. It's either relig- individual religiosity or not understanding how, the, as we'll see hopefully later, the bigger goal is this national, super, universal, divine ideal that comes through the nation of Israel. And from that stems the obligation of any individual to perform the commandments of the mitzvot that we had even in the exile. But the exile, as we'll see, maybe we'll get to it today, the exile wasn't the full existence. That was the bare, the pale shadow of our remaining, even in exile, without the nation, without prophecy, without the kingdom, without the full stature of Judaism, of Torah. And the rabbi said, that's bitul Torah. The, the lack of, we'll see that in the source when we talk about the Torah of Israel. The Gemaran Chagiga, page 5b, says outside the land of Israel, it's considered bitul Torah. And the, he says, you have no greater bitul Torah, cancellation of Torah than this, and the Jews being in the exile. What do you mean the Torah? That was in the Talmud Bavli. What do you mean the cancellation? That's Torah. We have Torah rabbis all over the world. But the Torah, as we'll discuss, the, the, this full vitality of a living Jewish nation that the Neshama is revealed in, in all of existence. A holy nation. And that goes down to every fingernail, every Jew, every branch. But it doesn't start with the branches. All we had in exile was branches. Each individual Jew, his community, his private. That's what the Gemara says in Brachot, page 8a. That since the temple destroyed, God only has his four cubits of halacha. The big, the super God's name, this illumination that radiates, that uplifts all of creation is now limited to the four cubits of halacha. The kitchen, the four cubits is like the individual private domain. Judaism is now you and your kitchen, you in the yeshiva world. But outside, the outside world, to illuminate, to elevate, to perfect all of that, the exile, that's, that's what exile is all about. That's why it's such a tragedy. The inability to fully reveal God's name in the world. That's what I said in Yechezkel 36 says, therefore I said I can't take it anymore. 2,000 years of exile, my name is being desecrated. That we discussed at length. My name being the super good, ideally, the expression of this, I just say it quickly, divine ideal, but what that means, that is what is lacking in exile. What do you mean lacking? Jews are religious there. Indeed. But the name of God does not come down through the individual, as the Maral says and the Ortsameach writes, the God does not reveal his name, his full name, on the individual. The, the vehicle that expresses his name, as we'll see, is the nation of Israel and the land of Israel. That's what I said in Yeshayahu 43, Pasuk 21, that This nation have I created unto me to say my praise. A nation, a nation that encompasses the minimum unit, that encompasses all of life, all of existence, all walks of human endeavor in this world, and all of that is holy. That's the unit, that's the, the main, the full expression of God's name. Every individual, each one of us, expresses as a continuation of that in our private sphere of life and what we do. And that's the, the greatness of what we do. We continue this infinite light even to the details of existence. But in the exile, the neshama is missing. The, the collective soul. You have like a person in a hospital. The, I don't know, either the bone, does, the body doesn't exist or the body is scattered all over the hospital. The heart and lung machine, kidney machine. You look, it's all there. It's a piece there. But what can't be revealed? The neshama, the personality. The neshama that comes down and is revealed, like I said before, a little shadow of it, a little glimpse of it through the human activity, through the body. In the exile, that body is scattered. Like we said in Puri, right? 
I'm a Fuzaro Farad, the, the scattered nation. So what's wrong with being scattered? We have Judaism in communities. Yes, but what's missing is the neshama. You have no greater bitul Torah than this. No greater loss of the manifestation of Torah, the full Torah. Or in Yechezko 37, that we just mentioned. The dry bones. This is, I'll take you out of your graves and bring you to the land of Israel. What do you mean out of the grave? What's the graveyard? We learned it, right? The graveyard is outside of Israel. Chutzlarts. Why is that a graveyard? It's a collective grave. Individuals are living there. You're, you see, 2,000 years, we continued amazingly, miraculously. But at the national grave, the neshama, the neshama is revealed like an individual to be, to see my neshama, or to see what you can, glimpses of it, shadows of it, is through the human body, the action when the body is healthy and functioning properly. So too, when the, the collective body is fractured, the neshama, in other words, what is our neshama? The Shekhinah, God's name, the Knesset Yisrael, the divine ideal cannot come to its expression. That's what's called Chilul Hashem. Back to Yechusesko 36. Right? That the, you destroy, being in the exile, you were destroying my name, desecrating my name. And the, and the verses say there, why desecrating my, what do you mean, what's the desecration of my name? For the nations will say, this is the people of God and they're outside of their land. Being outside the land constitutes a desecration of God's name. What do you mean? They're not... What are the, we talked about this in the class. That what they're caught stealing, they're robbers, they're, they're murderers. They're, no, the exile in and of itself constitutes this desecration of the inability. In other words, what does it mean desecration? In Hebrew, halal means what? What's halal? Halal is a void, empty, a vacuum. You've made my name. Not, that's why it's not so good in English. Right? Desecration. I mean, it is desecrated, but how? You've made my name empty. In other words, my name is lacking its full expression. When the Jews are in exile, objectively, not because you're bad people, the body is fractured, the neshama cannot come to this world. Because that's the vehicle. It's created such that it comes down, as we'll see, the sources we, we saw, of the nation in the land, that through the Jewish kingdom, sovereign in the land, that is what enables, that is the vehicle, the body, so to speak, that is the vehicle that enables the God's name, this ideal, to come to the world. When that body is fractured, there's good Jews, holy Jews. But those Jews themselves, in the Talmud Bavli, and outside the land, told us, the Torah sources tell us, that that's the graveyard, that's in the prophets, that's the cancellation of Torah, that's the, um, we saw last time, we left off, with those that live outside the land as if they worship idols. Remember that? Those that were here, the four explanations we gave, that's where we left off. What do you mean, they're worshipping idols? Because the lack of, we gave four explanations, but the... The individual level, your individual Jews, holy Jews, but the nation of Israel is first and foremost just that, a nation, a national holiness. As the Maral explains in Netzach Yisrael chapter 11, the significance of national holiness, that's the, the individual is finite, is temporary, let's call it. But the nation, and that's why he says there that, in, in, why the Torah wasn't given to individuals. Why wasn't it given it to the Avot, the Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov, holy individuals? You know, it had to be waited till there was a nation. And he says in Tiferet Yisrael, the Maran, chapter 6 to 17 and chapter 21, that again, that the, the, the name of God is revealed through the collective, because the collective is the eternal, is the divine, is the vehicle that encompasses all. And God's oneness is all-encompassing. No individual can encompass all. So we mentioned different, four explanations, how outside the land you're like an individual. On that level, you're like a non-Jew. He also has individual holiness and goodness. But the collective you're lacking. And we gave other uh, explanations of the the inability to express God's oneness. It says in the, the verse, that, uh, we said also, Minchan Shabbat, Atachad, Veshimcha Achad, you are one, 
Your name is one. Umikam Ha Israel. Goechad Ba'aretz. One nation in the land. So we brought down the source there. The Zohar says, why does it say in the land? One nation. One nation, the nation of Israel, that is the vehicle that expresses and reveals God's oneness in the world. Because God is one over all, but how is that revealed? Like I said, in the tangible three-dimensional world, what's the vehicle, that the, the body that receives that neshama? The nation of Israel. So why in the land? So we brought down there that source last time, of two months, whatever, a few months ago, that in the land they are one. Only there can they express God's oneness. And then it says when Israel is one, when they come back to the land, when is God called one? When He's back through the Jewish people. When they're in the exile, as if He's not called one. This is one of the sources we have in the sheet. Again, you have to either look up the... I think it was recorded here on the internet. I'm not going to repeat everything. But when they... And when the Jews come back to the land, and that day will be fulfilled, the verse, that day will be fulfilled, the verse that God will be one and His name is one. That we say at the end of Aleinu L'Shabach every day, right? The end of chapter 14, not the end, chapter 14 in Zechariah. When is that day that God will be one and His name will be? God is always one, but the name, how He's called, how He's revealed, when the expression of that oneness in reality, that the world is now the ideal and the real, are one and the same, when is that? When the Jews come back to the land, that's when God is one. And, that's, and, not, and they're not called one when they're distinct, when they're separate. The Jews outside the land, in other words, prevents the oneness of God. Not the oneness of Him. The expression of His oneness. He's always one, not dependent on this, not in this world, beyond it. He, but his, the name of God that wants, the Chilul Hashem, that's why you don't write Chilul, like, hey, God. He's not desecrated. His name is desecrated. His name is made, is lacking expression, full expression. So we call it Chilul Hashem, if you, properly, if not ever the books usually, anyway, or exactly about it, but the exact thing is the desecration of His name. The, which means how much is expressed. So the, the, the exile is in and of itself this desecration, the inability the, of the full expression of God's name. So what you asked, so again, both sides, you could say, are not aware of that fullness because one understands the Kiddush Hashem in every mitzvah and one doesn't understand the Kiddush Hashem of the national, the, what it means to be a holy nation. And But the truth is that they're one and the same. Although the to be a holy nation, and that comes down to holy individuals, is all one package. And that's what we have to learn and study. Historically, we discussed of why, I guess, and how they became separate, and what you said, of uh, one seeing the other, and as giving this equation, if they're separate, if it's one or the other, uh, separation of church and state, God forbid, as if uh, that's true for Jews, separation of temple and state, by that doesn't, doesn't uh, hold by us. Because the whole oneness of God is the we may say in Chadodi, right? Migdash Melech, the the kingdom and the the temple are united. That's what the Queen of Sheba saw the Shlomo Melech, the the amazing order of the kingdom, successful economy, whatever, and it was all connected to the, the this tunnel, not tunnel, this connected to the temple. Now, with the holiness, a holy state that usually people think in the outside world, the non-Jews, of holiness, spirituality is. Like again, mutually exclusive to the physical world. You want to be strong, vitality. You have to leave these spiritual, you know, searching for the beyond. If you're searching for the beyond, it takes you out of this world. Again, Christianity, separation of church and state. You want more spirituality? That's in the heavens. This world is evil, destructive, the original sin, whatever. You can't fix this world. But the oneness of God is that there's nothing. He created all. All is meant to be used properly. The body and the soul, the, the heaven and earth, like we say in the Aleinu also, right? Bashamayim Ubaaretz. 
There's nothing other. There's no outside of him. Heaven and earth. And that's the unique that he created a vehicle that comes down to this world to live that goal in this world. Not to abandon this world and not to... Uh, you can't fix it or half the world or nirvana, the other Buddha, that cloud, the whole, even the spiritual world, you have to just escape and nothingness. But no, the total oneness of God. Oneness means encompassing all. And for that, you need a strong, living, vital nation that lives and expresses that. And that's what we're coming to understand, to appreciate. And then the question is how that takes place. To how that big, how these big ideas are now seen in the outside reality of what's... T- we have a nation now, granted. We have uh, an economy and all the positive things. How does that connect to the, the holy nation? And that's what we have to study, like I said, to identify that to get over this external facade of the exterior evil and to penetrate to the inner good and to help bring that, the adolescent, to his full development that he himself will also know, not just he's growing and developing but not knowing where. The goal is that he's also aware of where he's going. And that's where we come in. If, we don't, if those that don't study it, then how is a nation? It'll get there. God will have those that will help the nation get there. But we want to participate and facilitate this process to bring the divine ideal to its completion. But you had a question. Uh, yeah, how does the uh, fellowship apply to an individual person living in Kusaris? Well, yeah, there are three legit reasons to live outside Israel, right? To to that's what I was going to bring down today, yeah. Um, yeah, but why is that a Hillel Hashem? Because it's, it's an individual sanctification of God's name. Every mitzvah he does sanctifies God's name. But he's participating in a collective uh, national desecration of God's name. That the nation isn't here yet that enables... Like he's part of those branches. He's not part of the tree, this living tree that's connected to... that brings down God's name. Not a, not a guilt. He's tied to the walls of China. He can't leave China. It's not a matter of guilt. A person doesn't have an arm. He can't put on tefillin. If he's in America, he can't... His, that limb that... The nation of Israel is now lacking that limb. He's part of that continuation of that tragedy of the lack of the full neshama having its full collective body that enables its full expression. So, so he's part... He's a unwitting, unwilling partner to that Chilu Hashem. aren't these three the very uh, sort of legit reasons to Even that, I was going to bring that down to that was what I was going to start because that's where we left off. Uh, the Rama about the worshipping idols. So, in the last minute here, I'll just say quickly, I wanted to do a few sources, another sheet, but I don't want to start with that, because that was this whole topic of the, as if he worships idols, a strong statement, and needs more clarification. So I had a few other sources, but I wanted the Rashba and the Chuvot, uh, Volume 1, uh, response to number 134, explains it also about the ministering angels, that it's not direct worship to God outside the land we mentioned, right? The Ramban in Vayikra, 1825, that outside the land, it's not direct. God, direct like it says in Dvarim, that the eyes of God are upon this land directly, His guidance. Not that He, He's not any place. But the Ramban explained how we can receive, how we can connect to that absolute divine transcending world is through the land of Israel. So outside the land, there's ministering angels. So outside the land, you are serving those forces. And that's what the Rashba also brings, the Ramban elaborated. But the Rambam, Halakha. So I want to bring the laws of kings and their wars in chapter 5, first in Halakha 9. It's forbidden to leave Eretz Yisrael to Chutzlarz always, except for learning Torah to marry a wife. Like if you can't learn Torah here, or you the wife, your shidduch is, is waiting there, or to save from the nation that they took the money, you have to go get it. But all those three are temporary things to leave temporarily and to come back in order to come back, not to stay there. What? 
and return to the land. But to live in, it goes on, but to live in the land, Lishkon, Bechutz Laaretz, Asur, is forbidden. Unless the famine was so great and whatever. Then he brings out even that. Even though it was allowed to leave, it's not a measure of chasidut, of piety, of saintliness. For Machlon and Kilion, right? The son in the book of uh, Ruth. They left Eretz Yisrael at the time of famine. You're allowed to leave then, but they were lead, whatever. And that's why they were just um, killed. They became obligate death punishment. That's what the Gemara and Baba Bacha, the Rambam is not making this up. The Baba Bacha, I think, 91. Also, Abraham Avinu, he left because of a famine. But what Chazal say about that, that caused the 400 years, you know, the 400 years of servitude of his children because he left Israel. There are a lot of sources for this. Look in the Afar Kumi, right? That's translated in English by the student of Rabbi Eisner. Um, the great rabbis used to roll in the, on the borders of Eretz Yisrael and kiss the stones. Our, our rabbi said that all those who live in Eretz Yisrael, his sins are uh, atoned. Even if you walk only four cubits in the land, you merit the world to come. And also if you're buried here. And then, law number 12 in that chapter 5, one should always live in the land of Israel, even in a city full of idol worshippers, and not to live outside the land, even a city which is um, majority Jews, because all those that go outside the land is as if they worship idols. That's the Gemara that we started with. We're explaining what I wanted to just... Somebody would come along and say, you're an idol worshipper. As if. As if. That if you're outside the land, it's like worshiping idols. Well, that's what the Gemara says. It has to be understood, but that's what the Gemara says. But not about about David Emela. Again, that's why I said I didn't want to start it today because we already had finished it. We explained what it means. It doesn't, he's not an idol worshiper. The rabbi, David Amelech, Moshe Rabbeinu, we talked about. He's not an idol worshiper. So what does it say? David Amelech says, you've chased me out from the land, saying, go worship other gods. That's the source in the Gemara, 110. So we explain that. It, it's the, not a guilt thing. It's a reality, an objective reality. Outside the land, there's a certain level of disconnection to that collective divine level. Let's put it that way. Objectively, not if you're not a good rabbi. You're the giant of Torah. You're, David Amelech is the source. For this, the Gemara in Talmud Bavli said, "Of oh, the rabbis outside the land, say we applies to us." They didn't say to refute it. What does it mean? What do you stone them? You kill them? No, they're not the law of idol worshippers. But the Rambam brings this down. This is the halacha. It's if they worship idols, and he brings down the source. For David Melech said, "You've chased me out this day." Right? He had to leave Israel. He had to run away from Shaul. What? No, that's why I said it's not the. It's as if, and we explain the as if. It's not the. Halachic obligation of an idol worshiper. The intentions are good. You're serving God. Your whole intention is only God and religious and a holy person. Like you said, 2,000 years, we've had rabbis and scholars and, and giants. And that we explain that it's not an individual, how do you say, um, uh, what's the word? Guilt or blaming here, God forbid. The rabbis that are saying it about themselves in Bavil. But it's stating the objective reality. Outside the land, we, they said, cannot fully read. Like the, the person at the bottom of a mountain, the top of a mountain. The person at the top of the mountain sees farther. He said, at the bottom of the mountain, he's not a rabbi, he's not a scholar. No, but he doesn't have that same vantage point. Not because he's not a good person. He was born, he has, like you said, he has reasons to be there. He has legal, halachic reasons you're allowed to be there. That's not the question if you're allowed to or not. 
But objectively, there's a difference between those two people. Objectively. And the opposite, that same person, if he was in Eretz Yisrael, he would see things. That same rabbi would be uh, levels of prophecy he was here. The Vilna Gon. He says, I'm in the graveyard, right? What, he's in the graveyard? The Vilna Gon. It's not something bad. He's a bad person. It's as if he worshipped idols. Yes, so we explain that it sounds very... Again, that's why I shouldn't have mentioned it, maybe. Uh, we discussed this at length, that it sounds like we're... As if we. I didn't, I'm just quoting the Gemara. And the sources are the Rambam. But we explained it, that it's not a personal accusation. It's not a delegitimizing uh, any rabbi outside the land. We're better than them. God forbid. Who, not an individual level. But like I said, the objective level. There's an objective level of creation. How mankind can connect to God. So you're in a, God forbid, someone's in a dungeon without a ladder. He can't climb the same level. In other words, there's, there are certain conditions. Uh, one is in a desert. The Kuzari gives the, the metaphor of the, the certain plants that grow in a certain place. These uh, grapes that grow in a certain place in France, whatever. In the desert, they won't grow. God created the world with certain conditions. Like life depends on certain conditions. You need a certain amount of oxygen. Certain, the, the name of God this ideal of holiness, of super divine spirituality that comes to the world through a certain place that he created that facilitates that blossoming of that thing. The amazing thing is that the Jews reached amazing levels even outside the land. They did reach amazing levels against all odds, even outside the land, and even in that desert they managed to put out the Vilna Gaon, the Rambam, and other great rabbis at different levels throughout history. But does that mean, therefore, it's the same level? No, but objectively, Eretz Yisrael is in a different ballpark, literally a different ballpark. It's not just Tom called the Holy Land. And that's what Chazal are telling us in very strong words. You're right, so strong that you even say, well, don't we have to refute this? No, you have to understand it. It doesn't come to criticize. It doesn't come to, God forbid, to, they deserve the death punishment. God forbid. But it's saying it's as if there's an aspect of worshipping others. And that's what we explain in the last explanation. The Rashba also says, look it up, look the Ramban on the Torah. Again, Vayikra chapter 18, verse 25 or look up that shoe we gave. And there we explained, again, the, the fourth explanation of the, you're, you're subordinate to these other forces that are in control, it's the laws of nature outside the land of Israel. So you serve through these other forces. You're, pray, you're serving to God. You're praying to God. But objectively, your prayers go through this, and your Torah, everything you do goes through, let's call it this ministering angel, the rabbis call it. Call it forces of nature, whatever. It's not direct to divine. Any not direct worship is... Foreign worship. Not bowing down to a stone. You're doing, you're putting on tefillin. But the rabbis say that the mitzvot outside the land, that's what the Rashba brings down, it's like a reminder, a rehearsal. So it shouldn't be nudity when you come back to the land. What do you mean the mitzvot? Outside the land don't have that same direct effect in relationship. You have to do the mitzvot. But again, you have to distinguish, like if you can count it in terms, whatever, there's a distinction between the subjective level and the objective. Subjectively, you're good, you're holy, you're doing all you can. But objectively, like I said, a person without an arm can't put on fillin. Is he to blame? <laughs> he was born that way, whatever. He's born blind, he can't... What? That's not a blame. Outside, If you can come to Eretz Yisrael, you choose not to. That's another question, but there might be reasons you have to stay there, whatever. But objectively, there's a book that talks about this, about tefillah. We'll maybe learn that sometime. Sharei Ora. Gitilia who discuss the difference between the prayers in Eretz Yisrael and the prayers outside the land of Israel. There's an objective difference of when you're going through these ministering angels, there's barriers till the prayer gets to the heavenly source, let's call it. God created the world such. And that we brought down the sheets on this. 
God created the world such, divided the lands into different nations, different uh, borders, and the land of Israel is directly to him, as it says in Varim chapter 32. This is my nation directly to me. They are my portion. I divided all the borders of mankind. Each one has his ministering angel, let's call it, these other forces. They're not in control. God is in control, but he directly direct, and that's what service of God, that's why it's called Israel. One of the, Israel is Yashar Kel, right? The word, Israel, in Hebrew, Yashar Kel, Yashar, straight to God. I think they joke, right? That in America, you know, the, uh, I don't know, Golda Meir says the Russian Prime Minister, whatever, you have, you know, things on your phone, you have the red phone and the green phone, this one's to America, that one's to Russia. Where is this one to? Uh, uh, this one's to God. It must be expensive. No, by us it's a local call. Because in Eretz Yisrael, the Yisrael, God unifies His name with the land of Israel, with the people of Israel and the land of Israel. That He created, that's objective. What you do, how you live, what you, that's up to us. But objectively, there's a difference. Yes, there's a difference in place. Shabbat is different. You can think it's the same. You could be mistaken. You didn't know it was Shabbat. But Shabbat is different. Whether you knew it or not, what, is it a 24, 25-hour objective energy level that is different than the other six days? Eretz Yisrael is different. There are people here that don't know that, and they live secular lives. There are people in America that do know that, and they live outside. But it doesn't change the objective reality, that this is the direct, full connection to the divine. So we're already over the time. And that we'll have to continue next time with the topic of the kingdom, significance of Jewish kingdom, and of even what we have today. Just